0: Hey, if you've even heard of the movie Top Gun, you're gonna love this episode of the F-14 TomCast. But before we get started, I wanna let you know to stay to the very end because we've got a few minutes of HUD video from one of the F-5s that was acting as a MiG-28. It's never been seen before. I'll tell you more about it later, but let's get started.
1: On the flight deck, crews are now manning for the next launch. Time to clear the flight deck and catwalks. Stand well clear of all jet flaps, prop parks, and exhaust. Time to start up the Go aircraft. Let's start them up. Hello everyone. I'm Craig Snyder, Callsign Crunch. I was an F-14 pilot and a Top Gun instructor, and I'm one of your co-hosts today on the F-14 Tomcast. Now, today, we are going to have an excellent show, I think. We're going to be talking about the movie Top Gun. Now, that movie, it came out in 1986. It was the number one movie that year, and it continues to just be a cultural influence, even 36 years later after its release. Now, we're going to get the inside story on how the F-14 squadron and the air crews were chosen to fly in the movie, how the missions were planned, and just what it was like to be a part of those exciting flying scenes.
0: And I'm Dave Baranek, call sign bio. I was an F-14 Rio and a Top Gun instructor, and I'm your other host for the F-14 TomCast. Our guests today are both former F-14 Tomcat pilots, one of them, John Smegs Semkin, was assigned as the Navy Liaison Officer to the film. The other, Lloyd Bozo Abel, was the F-14 Aerial Coordinator and actually flew many of the flying scenes. I was also involved with making the movie, and I knew our guests back in the day, and it's always good to catch up with these guys. Gentlemen, welcome to the F-14 TomCast. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Well, let's kick it off the way we kick it off with all of our guests. Uh, Let's start with Smegs. Tell us where you're from, how you got commissioned, how you got into naval aviation and into F 14s.
2: Well, I grew up in Long Island, New York, and I talk <laughs> like this, and I had to stop doing it because people thought I was stupid. Uh, then I moved to Illinois from my senior year in high school. Then I went to Annapolis. I graduated in class of 78, uh, flight school in Pensacola and Beeville, Texas. Um, Got signed to fighters in San Diego. Flew uh, F-14s uh, for the Fighting Black Lions, as you can see right over there, and uh, and then went to Top Gun and and graduated in uh, in uh, June, May or June of 1983, uh, and um, toured with uh, the Black Lions, and then I ended up on Admiral Cassidy's staff, and um, and the uh, how I got involved with the movie Top Gun, Admiral Cassidy asked how many guys on the staff graduated from Top Gun. There were four of us. We all put our hands up. He said, okay, I need one of you guys to volunteer. All four of us put our hands down. <laughs> and he threw the script to the end of the table. He says, okay, Semkin, you're the junior guy. And so technically, well, not actually, I was forced to be his advisor for the movie Top Gun. And so all I had, to and then Rat did everything for Top Gun and, And Bozo did the flying and Bozo's squadron. Bozo got lucky because his squadron was just back from uh, deployment. And the admiral said, which squadron should we use? I said, well, we got 51. They're back. Why don't we use 51? He says, okay. So they called over and they they used via 51. I think it was 51, right, Bozo? Yep, it was 51. Well,
0: amazing thing, Smegs, is that changed your life, didn't it? I mean Uh (laughs) – We'll talk well, about all that later. get a
2: meeting in business when people, when, uh, when they ask you, uh, you know, how did you get out? What did you do in the Navy? Well, I, I, I was a Navy pilot, you know, it comes out, you know, but, um, but it was, that's a, it was, it's a
0: teaser for later in the interview, you know,
2: exactly. So, and then, uh, all I did was I had to be on scene for every single second, the film, the camera was running, except when they were in the airplanes, I didn't do any of the flying, like when Bozo did his famous fly-by-the-tower scene, I was in the tower talking to Bozo, also waiting for Admiral Cassidy to get off the phone from shitting all over me for That's letting right. an airplane fly over his quarters. He right. <laughs> said, Admiral, okay, we'll get, I'll knock it off, you know. It didn't, start,
3: it didn't start out that way, but Smegs got the phone call. Yeah. <laughs> it started out great.
2: It started out fantastic, you yeah. know. But we knew that once uh, Bozo went against the pattern direction, which was all planned, the FAA approved it. We didn't yep, do yep. anything incorrectly. But we never, as you got, as you knew, Bozo, we never broke over the base. We always broke to the south. Well, we were well, coming in from the west, we broke right. If we came in from the east, we broke left. Yep. But uh, we never broke left and went over the, over the admiral's quarters, except Bozo may be the only guy in history who's ever done it.
3: That's right. That <laughs> was uh, absolutely true.
0: <laughs> okay, before we get into that too deep, Bozo, tell us where you're from and how you got into the
3: F-14s. Well, see, um, I was an Avrock and uh, so um, where were you born? Uh, well, I have to do all that. I was born in Fort Knox, Kentucky. I was an army brat, okay, so I was on. It. I was you know three years in Japan and five years in uh, Panama Canal Zone. Actually, I left after I was six months old. Did those tour duties with my parents and didn't come back to the states until I was eight years old, and okay. um, went to Fort Benning, Georgia, and um, started growing up some more there and, uh, wound up getting into, uh, I was always models and airplanes and I wound up getting to air explorers after boy Scouts and more uh, you know, a mature portion of the boy Scouts. And they were sponsored by, um, the ops uh, people out at uh, Lawson army airfield there in Fort Benning, Georgia. So I got to go up in the tower. So I really started, you know, as a sponge started pulling up aviation, all that kind of stuff. And, um, I knew I wanted to fly, I worked at the flying club there. I worked eight hours for no pay for a half hour flight time instruction. Um, but I was too young to get a license. I was still like uh, 14, 15. So I was able to get a glider's license. So that was my first ticket, that's how I learned to fly. So I didn't know how to fly pretty early in life. But um, basically after that uh, college starts, I go looking to get a flying job, flying degree. I wound up um, uh, finding the recruiters at the student center um, and more, what school, uh, this was Columbus. Well, it started out in Georgia Southern. And then I transferred to, um, uh, Columbus college because I was driving home and every weekend, 450 miles and back to see my uh, now 51 year wife. So we were, we've been dating since we were freshmen in high school. And, uh, so we got married between our junior, senior year, but long story short, I got tired Amazing. of driving 450 miles. So I transferred to her, her college and I got my degree from Columbus college, now Columbus university. And um, picked up AOC or the Avrock, uh, second part of AVROC in did uh, summer between junior and senior year, uh, 1671, that class. And then I picked up uh, 1271. And the only interesting story in that whole evolution, I was originally designated as a pilot when I got picked up uh, by the Navy. I went up to Marietta to get my induction physical. There's rumors that I went out with a couple of my Georgia Tech buddies. who we were in high school together and did some drinking, and my eyesight wasn't as good on the physical which should be. So they pencil whipped me to be an NFO, So, and I, and that's how I go down to, uh, uh, uh the, the a- 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 AVROC training, uh, AOC training, I should say. And, um, then, uh, my side was good at NAMI. So they pencil whipped me back to being a pilot and then the Navy and in their infant wisdoms decided the war was going to end and they needed to shred about 400 people out of the pipeline. So they were going to let my entire class go. And so I was all boo down to the class officer and say, hey, I, I engineered my entire degree to go fly airplanes with the Navy. And uh, can, I get the, can I get the NFO back? And uh, so they, he went to one of his buddies. He's a P-3 guy, by the way. Kudos to those guys. Found his other P-3 buddy down at the admin thing there in Pensacola. And they pencil whipped me back to being an NFO. And I went through Rio training at Glencoe, out to the RAG, out to my first squadron VF-111. Um, and that's how that's how I got there, and and then uh, I did. I'm, I'm a retread. I was a real for uh, 800 hours in the F4. Uh, I transitioned in '76 from the F4 to the F14. Got to be an instructor on short kind of a coup in a way that rarely happens. But um, they were standing up squadrons. That was when you know they had VF one and two on the bricks, and now they're getting ready to stand up everything: 24, 142, two, one forty three. You know, 2, 11, you know, uh, you know uh, black lines, all those guys, and so. They needed instructors, and I was again in the right place at the right time. It's worked for me my entire life, actually. But um, and so I wound up being able to transition F14, which is a great thing in itself. But then to be plowed back on the shorter the orders as an instructor, uh, and um, and I ran that thing out there, uh, did one tour as a Rio and F14s got about uh, 800. I got almost 800 hours in that that time I was there. And then I got. Wait a retrained. minute. So you're still
0: a Rio? No. Nope. In F14s. Go ahead. You're still a Rio in F-14s, and then you transitioned to be a pilot? 1980, I transitioned.
3: And so I'm a retread. There was about 120 of us that went through that program.
0: Crunch, Crunch, have you ever heard of a more circuitous path to becoming an F-14 pilot?
1: No, yeah. I'm sitting here the whole time looking at your shirt going, wait a minute, there's only one anchor on That's there. Right. There's no way that he ever becomes a pilot with this story. I have, I have, um, I have
3: uh, in 1980, I went back to, took me a year to go through, back to the RAG and then back to VF-51. Did I got 300 uh, traps on the boat with 51 and I was order, <laughs> orders out of the squadron in uh, June, uh, leaving in October when the movie showed up. And there's a cute so, story with Smigs about so, that.
2: Bozo, did you wear both your Rio and your pilot wings on your uniform?
3: No, nope, I just wore the pilot.
2: I had because I, I had in flight school. I got jump wings, you know. And oh before yeah. Before I graduate before I graduated from flight school. You know, I was wearing my jump jump wings up in Annapolis, and my wife was the first woman graduate of the Naval Academy. And so, all the instructors saw me with wings, and they tried to throw me out. I said, "What are you talking about? You're wearing your wings. You didn't wear your wings yet." I said, "No, these are jump wings." Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I did
0: that. I did that in Navy ROTC. I wore my jump wings my senior year after I got them.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: I'm not sure where that where that goes precisely. It's a certification. The jump wing sounds correct to me, but it was explained to me that you're either or, and so. Oh. Um, and that's all, so, you know, and the pilot was, I was, I was always shooting to be a pilot, but my time, I got to tell you all the air since I got being a real F4s and F14s uh, paid big dividends for me when I went back to that pilot program. And I didn't, I never looked back. I just charged and did, uh, did a pretty fair job. The, the, that program, not to uh, besmirch anybody, but it didn't have a great reputation. About half of those guys were too senior to be doing that or, they actually had problems. It like anybody going through the flight training, but because the Navy was invested them in the retread program, they walked them along a little bit. So I'd have to say, I talked to a lot of people about that. And, uh, um, you know, uh, there's Bill Cook. There's a lot of people I can name that did really well. And I, I count myself among those, but cool. that's how well, well,
1: Well, Boza, I, t- I tell you what, it sounds like you, you certainly had a long route to get there, but I did. obviously you did okay. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but that's, that's not why we're here. We're okay. here to talk <laughs> about... The movie Top Gun, and Still, I edit, edit all
3: another part. Well, <laughs> oh, no,
1: that's staying in. But Crunch is oh, yeah, we're yeah, we're not editing that out. Everybody gets to hear the whole bozo story. Right, we're gonna go. say the same thing and be like, "Man, how that guy ever
2: become a No, I'm kidding. Uh, but in any case <laughs> His so, James callsay's not bozo for no reason. Well, there's, there's
3: another reason <laughs> for that, and that's going to stay buried. <laughs> <laughs> There are worse names like Booger. Okay. There's other names that are not so good. So. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, hey, so Smigs, so you were the the Navy's uh, liaison to the development of the movie, right? So let's, for the, for those in the audience who do not know, can you take us all the way back into basically what's the genesis of the movie? I mean, sure. Yeah. We all know what it ended up being, but where'd the idea come from? What's the genesis? Where did, who was behind this whole thing?
2: Well, there are two things really. Um, there was a, Article written by Ehud Yone who who wrote a story on the about Top Gun, and then Heater, you know, did a thing for California Magazine where you know, they published a bunch of his pictures, and the, one of the producers on the on the movie Don Simpson, who was a complete wild man, uh, saw that and said, "I want to make a movie about this," and so um, they hired um, a, a former. F fourteen guy who was working for PSA Airlines and uh, and um, and he was he he's the only he's the only Navy guy that I know that got paid to do the movie Top Gun and so um, and he you know took him through the Pentagon and got all that and, and and a version of the script eventually ended up with Admiral Cassidy uh, at the FIT Fighter Wing uh, Comfit AEW Wing staff so um, and then I got. Uh, you know, assigned, I guess. And he said, read this and tell me what you think. So, you know, I read through the script and, and as bio knows, in the, in the original script, there were no words in the airplane, zero. There was zero dialogue by the pilots uh, in the original script. And I flagged that as an issue. And, and you know how when you're in the Navy, you know, the Admiral uses the red felt pen and the Chief of Staff uses the green felt pen. And so I had to pick a different color felt pen. So I used purple. And so all of my changes, recommendations, and, you know, we went to the Admiral. The number one thing that we did to start with was in the original script, uh, Goose dies in a mid-air collision. And so when we went through the initial discussions and nobody in the Navy, you know, was doing anything yet. We're having, I'm meeting with the producers and Admiral Cassidy and, and I said, hey, you can't kill Goose in a mid-air collision. And I said, "Why?" I says, "Well, if this airplane's going 600 miles an hour, and it hits this airplane going 600 miles an hour. Everything everything comes apart, and everybody dies. And if for some crazy reason Maverick doesn't die, it's his fault. He hit another airplane. He'll never fly again." I said, "You got to kill Goose. Some other. Well, how are you going to do it?" And then we we went through, and we all heard about the F 14 flat spin, where they were put it in a flat spin on purpose at Pax River. And the and the bio, and I have a different remembrance of this. I remember that the Rio act, we, we do know that the Rio hit his head in the ejection. That was before they told us that you had a jettison the cockpit, the, the canopy, before you ejected. And, um, in that particular case, the, the Rio hit his head on the canopy. We had always been told that the Rio was killed. Bio says he was just severely hurt uh but but uh but the story is the same we killed maverick because of that i mean goose because of that and that became part of the movie um and then uh then the other things about the script and what things were going to do and then rat got very involved and with all of the choreography of the of the, the you know the you know the, the top gun aircraft that's when we decided to paint the f5 black and make it a you know a MiG twenty eight, which we all knew didn't exist. Then, then, and then we picked the fighter squadrons that were going to fly. And fifty one did most of it. You know, Bozo took all the actors up, and and uh um, some of the other guys got involved, but mostly it was Bozo. And then when we went to sea, we had to find out, you know, who was who was working out who was working out to go up, you know, work on their workups to go to. On cruise, and it was two thirteen and one fourteen, and so that's how we ended up going back out to the Enterprise. So there I was with all my former squadron mates on the Enterprise, um, and so you know, and that's where you know Tony Scott said we want him to do an a- aileron roll off the catapult. I said that ain't going to happen, Tony. And he said, I said you want you want to see an aileron roll? We'll do a flyby. The pilot can pull up; he can spin off into the you know after he's going fast. I says he can't do one off the catapult. And so all they did was they cut the flyby with the road, you know, the, the spinning as they went up in the air into right off to the catapult. So it looked like somebody did it off the catapult. So, but I, our, my rule was as long as it's not illegal or making us look really bad, it's a movie, you know, so there's, everybody will give you the website that shows there's a hundred things wrong in this movie. Well, you know, I can probably give you even more. But, uh, you know, it was a movie. It wasn't a documentary. And so just like we would never have done what Bozo did, fly by the tower without permission, okay? Never happened in naval aviation, okay? And have the pilot fly again, okay? But it's a friggin' movie. So that's, that's what we did. So, But we did know when Bozo was flying over the Admiral's house that we were only going to get three passes. And after his first pass, I walked downstairs and answered the phone, he came by the second time. I walked back upstairs. He came by the third time, and then we knocked it off. So Bozo only had three shots to do it right, and he did a great job. So who was on the phone, Smigs? Uh, well, I told the director, I says, that Bozo's going to fly directly over the Admiral's house. And, and remember, Bozo will remember this. Tony Scott did all this crazy planning, but he only wanted filming during the half an hour before and after sunset. Magic hour. So by that time I knew the Admiral would be in his quarters and I knew the Admiral would call because F-14s don't fly over there. Right. And so nothing flies over there. Maybe some police helicopters. I don't know. But, but, uh, so it was Admiral Cassidy on the phone. Okay. But I didn't answer it. I, there was a phone in the tower. I could have answered it right away and said, knock off right like that and we would have been done. So I walked three stories down and answered it in the, 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 the lobby downstairs yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, sir. I bet we got permission. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's, that's how my thing went. Then I walked slowly back upstairs was Bozo's flying by the second time, you know, and then and then on oh, his sir. third pass, the phone rang again. And I said, Admiral, I just called knock it off, you know, so and that's what we we knocked it off. Walking so,
1: slow. That's good. That's good. So hold on. This is the Admiral that told you to help make this movie happen. Right. You're making it happen and he, he doesn't want you to do it?
2: I don't oh no no, 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 He doesn't want us. He, you know, he, the, you know, the, you know. I, I met the He didn't, the he didn't the want jet movies. noise over
1: his house. I,
2: yeah, I met the guy who has my job doing the new movie. The Navy asked me to take him out to dinner and talk about what I did. I said, you know, and I he came in. He's a Navy captain. Bozo, so you won't believe it. I said, oh, this movie's going to suck. He said, Why <laughs> would you say that? You know, I said, well, because because you're a Navy captain, you have a career to worry about. <laughs> I just He goes, well, what were you? I said, I was a lieutenant. He goes, who did you report to? I said, nobody. I said, every once in a while, Admiral Cassidy would ask me how it was going, but he didn't ask for daily briefings and everything. And so, But I did know that if they flew over his house, he would not be happy. And we didn't brief him beforehand.
1: What was he? What was he doing being unhappy about jet noise over his house? I mean, come on. Crunch,
0: this is, I mean, these guys all know it. Uh, That admiral, I mean, I'm not going to say his name again. Everybody knows it. He, as a lieutenant. He had been a, a fireball. I mean, he was like – he did all kinds of great flying. Everybody said he was a wild man at the club and everything. And then as an admiral, I guess he forgot.
2: <laughs> well, you know, in all fairness to him, he, he had no idea that we had gotten permission from the FAA. We had San Diego, San Diego Tower. He didn't know. Right, okay. and all of a all sudden right. he sees some knucklehead flying over his house, and then and then with his wings back. And Bozo will tell you the story. The F fourteen at three hundred knots with the wings back. It's not a very stable aircraft. Okay, okay. Bozo,
0: let's go there. How, how did you go there? wait a minute? So talk about how did VF fifty one end up doing this, and how did you end up being the guy? I picked
2: them. It's I get all the credit for that. Well, there you go. Okay, all right, and <laughs> that's right. it. I had nothing to do with Bozo. I didn't even know Bozo before this movie started. Actually,
3: actually Smegs had a lot to do with me. He didn't realize how. And the uh, the curious thing is, now I'll relay this. Uh, our skipper, Chuck Zollinger, um, he basically wanted, he was an admiral's aide uh, into command. So that, that chain usually come off an operational department head tour, get screened, and you go be a CEO of a, you know, bio, you know that. But he came um, off of a department head tour to an admiral's aid job to a CO of a squadron. And the only thing that means is that he, he was really familiar with uh, optics in terms of squadrons and how they look and stuff like that. So when the movie came along, and, and it came along in a huge mess about delineating, you know, we're going to do this, got fit A. W. wings in charge, uh, Smegs is the man. And by the way, I also to back up a point. Smegs, lieutenant, me, lieutenant commander, and Ratwiller, lieutenant commander, the three of us made uh, this movie work from an operational uh, you know an advisory standpoint and smegs specifically I didn't, I didn't give himself enough credit i mean i i the f14 and i really fully hands on in orbit with that and and and, and rat wilder with top gun but smegs had to cover all oh, there's ground shooting there's There's just, it's all over the place. And he had to herd cats like a big dog to make all that. I'm going to jump
0: in here. Bozo, I'm going to jump in here and just echo that because crunch, you know, back in the day when we were doing this, everybody around Miramar knew, you know, this was going on and all that. Right. And I remember people saying Smegs is doing a great job. So
2: Smegs. You had to- all I wanted was a movie that made us look really cool. Period. Yep. Well, and I got—I got
3: to tell you a story about Smegs. I'll tell it now, just real quick, ten seconds. The cool thing about Smegs is he's always got his—he was a bachelor and he's always got his eyeball on things like <laughs> all naval, naval aviators do. And we used to have this Wednesday Wednesday get together, and a lot of people would come off the station and we're talking girls, and so it was a big hangout. And I won't give the unglamorous name of what we used to call it, but the bottom line was during this filming. You know, Smegs knew this was going to be a hit. We all did because we saw the airplane go thundering by the tower and all that. It's time to get the new uh, visitor passes made to come onto the base. And there's a a north, a west, and an east entrance to Miramar. And so uh, it's a little map of the base with a few, you know, geographical positions. And it shows the roads. Smegs was clever enough to highlight and bold on this pass all three entrances, and they all led to the club. And that, I thought that of all the things in the world to be sharp on, that was it. So when these girls got this pass, no matter what gate they came in, it took them right to the club, you know? So yeah. good job, Smegs.
2: You didn't have to, you didn't have to have a, a background check to get into the officers club in those days. That's, that's right. Sure. That's right. So, <laughs> okay, so
0: go ahead. Bozo, how'd you end up in the cockpit for the movie? Well,
3: this is where Smegs comes in too, but I was going to say, uh, 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 commander Zollinger, um, uh, Z-Man, yeah, okay. he, he wanted, uh, he knew the optics. He wanted to be the squadron. And um, and I know he, he, he lobbied uh, Comfit uh, to be the guy that does the movie. But, of course, there's all the other squadrons out there, 24-211 and all those guys. And so they want a piece of the action, too. So he got, uh, one way or another, the Admiral picked it with Smegs or whatever. But we were going to be the squadron that provide the airplanes. That was first up. And then the pilots were going to share the flying, I believe, if I'm correct in that background with, um, with our squadron. What really came to pass here that made it for me and everything else, he also managed to get money funding to go to red flag an operational training exercise there at Nellis. And so, and he did, and we were scheduled to go fly a month out of when this thing started. We came back from cruise the end of may. And I think the July was going to be the start of the flying. So in Mm -hmm. the end of June, he was going to go, um, uh, to red flag with the squadron. And I got orders out and it's a good deal and I'm not going to get that good deal because in a few months I'm leaving and it's a waste of training on me that you give it to somebody that, that practically can use it because it's just a great exercise. And, uh, so I was the guy, I just finished my maintenance, uh, officer department tour, department head tour. And so I'm back to the squadron with three mostly flyable airplanes and a lot of troops, you know, and a couple of good, uh, E sevens, E eights. And, um, uh, and I'm, I'm coming to work at, uh, you know, 10-ish, going home at 2-ish. I mean, I'm not hurting myself because, you know, that's my good deal. Yeah. And, um, Except so, on the days
2: we had to fly at sunset. So
3: that's true. <laughs> but but what happened, well, this is the start of it. So uh, to, can you, just to go far enough into this to get the background, um, they moved the flying up. I don't know if that was Paramount's idea or something, but they moved the flying up and they caught the squadron out of town. Smegs calls and he gets hold of my senior and the senior says, well, I'll get hold of Mr. Abel. So he Calls me up and says, "Hey, Fitz uh, calling, and they they say they want to go film and today, and that the tower flyby is going to be the first sortie." So I call up Smegs, and, and Smegs, being the diplomat that he was, I said, "Hey, Smegs, the, squ- the squadron's out of town. You know, they're out in the desert." And he says, "Well, Bozo, you figure out how this is going to happen because I got to move on. You can't do it. I'm going to find another squadron." That's what he says. You know. <laughs> so I go, you know, Smegs, I'll uh I'll get back to you because I know my CO wants to do this. So yeah. I called my CO up at Nells, and as things would have it. He couldn't break any assets loose. The Air Force had him all tied up. So he says to me, and this is how it starts, Bozo, you got an airplane there. It works. You do this tower flyby thing, and I'll have my guys there tomorrow. Now, I always took a little offense to that because I was one of his guys, but that's how he said it. So anyway, <laughs> I hang up the phone with Smegs. Smegs tells me to go to the tower. The director's directors over there. Actually, he, he said it was a traitor. He turned up to be on the tower. So so I hang up the phone. I got uh, Mark Schlichter, my Rio. And I said, you know what we're gonna go do? We're gonna go find this director, and then we're gonna get an airplane and we're gonna go fly and buzz the tower. And and he's he's looking at me, you mean like you mean like, you know, today? And I go, yeah. And I mean like this tower, and I go, yeah. And so we we went over the trailers they weren't there. I did see Val Kilmer with his little sunscreen there catching rays, you know. And he was very impolite about where it, was, it wasn't his job to keep track of the director. So we go to the tower. And I've got to go up and see Tony Scott. So we're going up. And this, this is a cute part, too, as far as backstories. As we're going up the stairs at the tower to see Tony Scott, the guy, the actor that dumps coffee on himself, you know, in the movie was walking back down the stairs. And he had on a uniform and he was a commander and he had, you know, lots of fruit salad on his thing. So we snapped against the wall as this guy goes walking by and he just looked at us like, you know, what kind of planet we're from. So and I didn't know I didn't know he was the actor at that point. So we go up there to find Tony Scott. He's got this goofy little uh, cartoon uh, with the glass of the tower and the F-14 plan view going by the, the tower. And he says, this is what I want. And And he, just like Smeg said, he had that hour that he wanted to do the golden rays of the sunshine and it was all the lighting that he wanted. So we go back down there and, um, I head out to the flight line. I get my airplane and believe it or not, we cranked it up. We go out there and we were taken off to the East, which is rare for Miramar. Yes. And, um, the yeah. motor fodded about a hundred knots on the roll. I had to abort. And <laughs> so I turned off. And so uh, much like the microphone business, I just don't quit. And so I pull in the line and the other airplanes right there. And I said, we're going to get in that airplane. I'm not passing on this flyby. So we got out of that airplane. I made the chief pull the uh, start cart around. We cranked that sub gun up and then uh, went back out there and took off to the East and um, had it all set, got with the tower and the cute part of all that is uh, the place I lived was on a cul-de-sac in Scripps Ranch. And I had made one of my entry points for the box that I'm flying right over my, my cul-de-sac. And so as I did those three trips around the thing, my cul-de-sac got more and more full of people looking up when I went by. But anyway, the fun <laughs> part was we go over Mesa, which is north of Miramar. You turn north, south, straight over the golf course in Miramar, and there's eucalyptus trees taller than the tower. And I did not know that on the first pass; I had that in the back of my head for the other passes. And so I zeroed the thing down. I disappeared down there, good, you know, 50, 60 feet. I actually didn't know how high the tower was. I just knew I was going to go by the window. And so, uh, and as Smeg said, we had talked to the director, the airplane. You couldn't. He wanted us to go by supersonic. You can't do that. Things break, all that kind of stuff. So I said, but I can make it look fast because you can sweep the wings back. But at 300 knots, just like you said, I had the additional problem is Miramar is not a regular airport traffic circle that's circular. It's half. It's half of a circle because um, that uh, Claremont Mesa and Montgomery Field are just south of there. So I had to do a really hard turn after I passed the tower, and it's all buffet, you know, around the corner while the uh, wings come out to something that was flyable, and then I did that circuit, and uh, and so there was. I got to be that guy, and um, and I landed the airplane. And there's some uh, my, I had begged, begged, begged my wife to come with me uh, out to the, you know, out to see this tower fly by. and she was down at the bottom of the tower doing this thing. Um, sadly, like a lot of Navy stories, we lost a kid going through flight training. We had all the wives out there watching us bounce, and he crashed. And so Vera had my wife had always been negative about watching me go fly, but anyway, she did come. And uh, so she comes back to the squadron, picks up myself. I had a little two-seat Mercedes, and, and my real, Mark Slechter, he's in that little tiny space behind the seat, my wife in the passenger seat. And we drove down to the uh, ops building there where the tower is. And as I drive up, there's a the producer, director, and they're all clapping. And, and I'm going, yeah, this is why I got in the Navy, you know, that <laughs> kind of thing. And, uh, and so the, the end of the story about why I'm there is that they like me, Uh, much like they like smegs and we were affable and humorous and could make things work. And, um, they saw the necessity, I think for uh, continuity safety and a lot of other aspects. And they said that uh, they wanted me to be the F-14 aerial coordinator since I own the jets and I I could own the jets and all that. And, uh, I uh, said, well, I got a CEO that's going to have a different take on that, but thanks for asking, you know, type stuff. And, uh, they, uh, I guess the confit, uh, got with, uh, they got together with, uh, uh, uh with or Z- whoever's running a thing. And they said I would be the guy and uh, I was the guy. And the Admiral called myself some eggs and, um, and rat Willard into his little office. Remember? I don't know if you remember that big, long conversation.
2: Oh, I remember. Yeah. He
3: said something to the fact that, uh, if we harm a hair on the airplane or any people, uh, he was going to kill us. And then, and I think, uh, a rat in his very professional way says, well, Admiral, we're going to train this. We're going to, he goes, no, 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 Rat. If if you harm anything, I'm going to kill you, you know, like that. <laughs> and then, so we understood what our, how our relationship was and how it was going to work. So the three of us, that little group, and, uh, and Smegs can pick it up from here if he wants, but there was a movie made before this, Final Countdown, that had a lot of conflict of interest because the squadron VF-84, who uh, wound up flying for the production company, um, did some flying off the books to uh, and got some uh, cool things for the, for the troops, you know, uh, TVs and their spaces on the ship and so on. But, I mean, some form-fit helmets for the guys like that. Well, that turned out to be a big production, uh, conflict of interest. There was a rule about how much money you could accept. And, of course, you're giving away thousands of hours of flight time, uh, dollars of flight time. And uh, that CO uh, actually got relieved. And the Admiral, I'm yeah. pretty sure, got a letter of reprimand out of that mess. A, n- well, Admiral,
2: Cass- Admiral Cassidy basically wanted um, deniability yeah okay? and so he called we, us in and we says, were it. yeah we were his deniability from then on he didn't want to know what no. was going no. on no. He, he you know because if you told him then he would he didn't have any deniability and so right. so that he had one meeting with us and rat right. and and bozo and you know we didn't ever ask again we never briefed him again.
3: Definitely. We talked with chief. Of, we would tell the chief of staff. Megs would tell the chief of staff what yeah. we're up to, and that'd be about it. Well,
1: yeah. well you know, you tell the chief of staff, it's kind of like telling the admiral, but yeah, that's Not amazing. really. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be. be. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, Bio's going to go recharge his beer there from the tanker. But um, hey, so Bozo, question for you. I know that. So, how many other pilots were actively flying in the flying seat? So, you're one. Who
3: else flew? Okay, well, uh, actually, it goes in a couple directions, but um, I can tell you that um, there were we flew off of the coast with uh, Kay Lacy, and uh, that was mostly Ben Schneider and myself. That the way it really worked out, and this goes.
1: Kay Lacy was the Learjet pilot. Yes, he was.
3: I'll I'll put it. I'll put it together a little better. Uh, And Smegs had it up front. Essentially, the um, the the things we did, like how close we flew to each other. Uh, was not real. A, a missile shot would be, you know, out there much further. Um, so we we ran in the, the gun range, really very close, because um, and we and Paramount actually listened to a lot of stuff. So we would say we'd raise our hands and say that's just too close to where they want us to go. And they said, but we're making a movie, and you and we need you guys both in frame, right? So they did some uh, they did some filming with just one airplane with the dialogue like that, and that it's boring. You see one jet, you hear the noise, and you hear talk, but you don't see nothing. But when you put them together, it's dynamic. And so right. what happened Go on there, so that's how usually it was one airplane or two airplanes at most. I mean, a good 67% of the movie was just Ben Schneider and myself pushing a couple jets around. And we did that off the coast with Kay, Kay Lacey. And we also, up at Fallon, was the majority hold uh, share of the, the flying. So, but there were scenes for more. And so to continue on the theme that you're asking about, uh, uh, Crunch about the people, so Ben Schneider, I recognize this as a waterfall event when I became the uh, aerial coordinator. And there was all these watershed events. The tower flyby being the most obvious one, but there was more to this thing. I did the roll off the ship, but I knew um, there was going to be a pass at the boat that was all messed up where Merlin turns in his wings, you know. I think it was Merlin. I can't remember. Right yep. a second. No, yeah. not
2: Merlin. Merlin was a Cougar. Back-seater. Yeah,
3: Cougar. backseater. Cougar. Cougar. Thank Cougar. you. That's Cougar. Of so um, there was that. And then, of course, uh, the inverted flying. And that's a whole other story. We could pull that out a little bit. But there's a lot of interest to it. Number one is we, you know, as pilots, even proficient fighter pilots with lots of hours, we don't fly upside down very much. The Blues practice a lot.
2: But, Certainly uh, not in the F-14. It that's right. Up, but no. And it had,
3: it had some operational restraints. Um, it had this uh, inverted tank on the inside that when you roll the airplane up, down, upside down, it would hold a certain poundage of fuel. And But you had to be at kind of a median uh, power setting so you wouldn't burn it all up or you'd starve the motors. And That's so right. we, uh, we also, you know, we Ben and I practiced out in the pop area. I'd try one, he'd try one. We are trying to see which one of us could do the jet better. And you wound up having to roll upside down and trim nose forward to get this thing to mush through the air flat. And the scene that the, the, the inverted flying scene where the F-5 is in it and it looks like the F-14 comes up, Uh, Great models. We'll show you how that works. So the way it works is go ahead and put the F-5 sucked on the F-14. You're right. See, so the F-14 is a stationary platform flying inverted. And Ben had to hold that thing level, wings level, upside down for three or four or five minutes while we go along. And we thought that was a nice safety thing. And so the F-5 showed up underneath, right? And then he would would come forward ever so slightly, and he would go acute on the uh, F-14 in front of him by a little bit. Keep going acute there. More forward on the F five. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Way forward. Way forward. Way forward. Because what he's gonna do, get married. They're right about there. Now the F five and rats in there, by the way, and he would pull power and the the F five starts sliding back. Well, they're filming, and it looks like the F-14 overtakes the F five, but that's not how it worked. And then two, the canopy to canopy business obviously is, you know, was was cut on the editing floor because the tails would be into each other at That actual canopy thing with you smile, you're on your your Polaroid film and like that. So, but, yeah, it's just but, too close. To but not we, like, we did get close. I'd say we're in yeah. 20 feet of each other uh, and rats line. And you know, when I saw, didn't the admiral come up? Wasn't he in that? That was an F5F. It was a two seater in that movie for the inverted thing. I and I buy I, it. Well, I was in I was in
0: one, but but we didn't do it that way. I think it might have been Sobes or somebody. That I think that was Monday morning when you guys did that. Yeah. Uh, bozo I, I, Be- I came up i
3: know he went flying with rat in that well, f5 he probably,
0: uh I he, came thought up he one day flown, he might have flown in the learjet maybe
3: yeah i, I can't remember. but i that, don't, that's, I don't that's recall that,
0: if he but i mean i didn't i didn't track who was in the in the f5f i mean sobs flex sunshine and me took turns
2: the right, biggest right. thing about the learjet footage was when they were doing it in you know that Tony thought that he should speed up the camera.
0: Oh yeah, I remember. Make that. the F14 oh.
2: spin looked, better, and yeah. it looked like. And stupid. we said, and that was what it looked stupid. We wouldn't. So they they had to go back and do it another day because, as you know, if 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 the F14 is going to do a roll. At low speed, because he's flying at the Learjet speed that doesn't make the camera vibrate, which was like 280 knots, 300 knots, okay? (laughs) Above that, the camera would vibrate. So here's Bozo with his wings back at 280 knots. Behind the Learjet, and he does a roll. What happens the F-14 if you roll at 280? You lose like 2,000 feet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they go, whoa, you know. So, and it looked bad, but there's nothing we could do, you know, because so he speeded it up and everything, and it was just terrible. I, so I, we made I,
3: okay. it- Good. I was going to add, you know, this is one of the beauty. You know, the movie is it, about everything that you see, but the movie became about the jets and their personalities. It's really a cool, especially <laughs> from our standpoint because they each had their assets and their deficits and you fight the airplanes based on your assets and against their deficits. And so we learned with the airplane, the F-5 and and, and the A-4 in this sequence too, they became personalities to the director. He's not a flying guy, right? But he embraced each of the thing he understood that tomcat was kind of a lumbering thing at that speed when you rolled it upside down to start you had the trim and it took a while to get the thing and thing and then this crisp little f5 would just scoot right up in there so he could see the f5 was menacing because it was quick and come in there you know and then of course the a4 in, in the movie was the training assets it's different than the other so it has to perform different that's where the you know the tail chase and all that
2: came from but and there were other things where we can make the f-14 roll faster and right. that's where we were remembering Fallon we were running right at the ca- right, we were, right. On top yeah. of a, we were on top of a mountain with a big canyon that you know in front oh, of yeah us. it was
3: a safety uh, we had actually that those cameras were in the mountain range between Bravo 17 and 19 they're two conventional weapons targets at Fallon and the beauty of that was the floor of the valley was at 2,000 feet and these cameras were up at 2500 or 4500 or so so we had a buffer and we I'm just like, uh, as Meg's was saying, right at the camera. And we did a lot of things useful that the Navy owned. Like, it was really hard for them to find us as we're heading inbound. We gave them signal mirrors so they could signal, and we were catching. It was hard for us to find them. And so we aren't all these wonderful things out to make that movie. There's no CGI in this movie, no computer-generated imagery. So everything's hard film, old school. And So, Bozo,
0: uh, I, I've told people that, that that scene where the Tomcat's coming right on, and the uh, cloud of vapor is because he's
2: dumping fuel. Yeah, yeah he's dumping fuel dump, because, because right. the
0: camera crew couldn't spot
3: the tomcat. We did well, that's that not so, more than yeah. one, but this—listen—they but yeah. asked for this. They wanted something dynamic, right?
2: They wanted to make it look. It, it, that's all just making it look cool. By yeah. I was yeah. on the top of the tower in a pair of Hawaiian shorts, no shirt, flip flops. Okay. And I'm signaling them with the little wire and I have the radio talking to the pilot.
3: That's a whole nother story.
2: (laughs) And so so we're there telling everybody, I, I can see where they are. I can see where we are. And I said, when they're, when the director was ready, he says, okay, I'm ready. I would tell the pilot, okay, roll. Right. And so they're further away and they dump some gas and then they roll and they're flying right at us. And then they drop down and they come back up and they, I say, okay, roll. Right. And then, and then, I, I, and during the briefing, I said, if I don't say roll, don't you roll. And that's where Ben, ben Schneider rolled one more time without me telling him. And he literally went over. I, I, and I, I, my old LSO training committee says, okay, power, burner, ball. And he would, and the airplane went over the top of us. I, and I'm not exaggerating. I could see the rivets, okay. We, he cleared it, He cleared the edge of the mountain by 15 or 20 feet. Okay, we all would have died.
3: Ben Schneider and myself, my Rio was mostly Rick Mobile. but we interchanged Rios between the two two airplanes. There's a whole lot that goes into that. Um, Basically, it was always just two airplanes and a lot of times one airplane. The few times it found we needed uh, more, I brought up two other airplanes, and those pilots are enumerated in there. There There's Denny Braska and Scott Altman, who became an an astronaut, which leads me to a, a thing later on we should talk about. There's actually three flybys in this movie. And um, uh, we can talk about that later. But um, and their rios, I had uh, Chuck Lewis, uh, TC Skills, and Squire Kenneth Smith Squire. There was eight of us was the core group. There were other uh, other guys in this process. Uh, Ken Diebel, Fiebs was in our squadron. Uh, I was briefing the air crew and stuff, and starting to do the choreography. On uh, this is before we started filming. And uh, we needed to give uh, Cruz a fam ride. That was something that worked, he worked into his contract. He wanted that fam ride and I couldn't do it. And so Ken Diebel took Cruz up uh, on this fam ride. He, I flew him three times in the filming process in my cockpit, but Phoebes is the guy who took it up. And the other one is uh, another pilot was in this thing was Chuck Heatley, the one that Smeg's talking about. He shows up, and, and I've never forgiven you, by the way, Smegs, for this, you know, being an ex-maintenance officer. He shows up with this 45-pound friggin' camera that he's oh, going to sit in my back seat. And I looked and I said, you know, when I roll this airplane, that camera is going to stay still. You know, it's not going to roll, and it's going to hit my canopy, you know. And he <laughs> goes, no, I'm going to brace my elbows, and we're going to do this. And he, all he's trying to do is film forward where I am and, what, you know, while we do the roll. And so it went just like I said, it was, he scratched that canopy. You know, I did several of those. And by the way, they were all double rolls too, by the way, the director yeah. wanted two. And, um, and, it, and, uh, there's a little story goes with that. I hate to capitalize the time, but I had, uh, I'd not, you know, the Grumman came out and modified one of our airplanes, you know, right. Um, and, uh, 114 and they had, and this, there's so much that goes into this takes a long time to really lay it out. But, uh, the Navy bought off on allowing Grumman, a tech rep, to come out using my our, our metalsmiths, our, the squadron's metalsmiths, the guys that work the metal and stuff on the airplane, electricians. They cut into a couple of three places on the airplane to install a mount to put this little three-minute camera on it. And in the cockpit, I call it the camera bird in 114, there's a master control panel in each of the five hardpoints where we had a camera. And I would just you know, turn on the master, and then i click the button. We did filming of the actors in the back that way. And in this particular case, that roll off the ship, uh, that's how we're going to film the carrier behind us after we supposedly do the cat shot and then do the double roll. Well, I had not done it and needed to do it, and I made a point to that to the director. And so um, they waited and waited and waited for this to do this thing. And then like two days before, or, well, actually, it was the day before, the day before I got the overhead message and filmed this roll off the ship, they finally show up with the camera to mount it so I can go up at the San committee. It was one of the Rio's there. And I, I told tower, I need to come out here. And I need to, uh, there's a big outcropping of rocks on the right side of the cliff where the airfield was out there. And I said, I need to run over this thing and I need to do multiple passes on it because I'm trying to calibrate the camera between the tails to, you know, for filming, they were all cool with that. There's nothing out there but goats and guys that couldn't get good orders. So the, uh, we, we, I did exactly that. And I, I did that the best, I, I, I did it the best I could. And I came back and now I need to see the dailies. And so um, they were going to do it that night because now the sun's gone down and at nine o'clock I'm supposed to see it. And they didn't have it. They said they won't have it until the morning. Well, I get up in the morning, they don't have it. And so my overhead's like one o'clock, you know, or two o'clock, something like that. And so about noon, noon 30, I, I got to start manning up. So I'm manning up the airplane. So I still don't know what it looks like. I just know what I did. And so and then this little van comes boiling up to the flight line where I'm getting ready to man up. They open the sliding door and they got this little little video camera in there and they and I see what it what what's on, on the film that I did. And it's as bad as I thought it would be because the F fourteen, it, it differential tail runs a certain percentage of the term, but then it's augmented by spoilers. And as soon as you put the spoilers in there, then there's yaw moment and the yaw turns away, which means the camera turns away, which means the tails turn away. So when I'm looking at this film, there's, the, there's a ship between the, or the rocks, in this case, between the tails. And so as I start the roll, the rocks wander off screen, and then they wander back in. You know, the ta- you're just still looking through the tails. So, so, Crunch,
0: so Crunch, you're a Tomcat pilot. You're trying to do this. And as Bozo's described, you've just discovered there's a fundamental flaw with doing a simple roll. So now, I mean, that's where we are. That's where Bozo is. And he's manning up to go do it for real.
1: And your overhead time is in an hour and, and it's going right. to it. go. Well, here's okay, what I said.
3: So- I settled on this. I said, uh, no matter what I do out there, I mean, I had the points down, the pitch up and the whole nine yards. And uh, I, I was going to do speed, just just like Bile talking about. There, the plane's not going to roll worth the damn till you're about 240, 250. Okay. And they want double rolls for Christ's sakes. So that means the first arc will be this and the next arc will be like that. But anyway, long story short, I knew that I I put my mirrors up there, and I said, "Whatever it takes with the rudder, I'm going to keep that ship between the tails." And if you look in the movie, you'll see the rudders fiercely kicking because I just steered it with the mirrors off the roll. So So I did my pitch.
2: You were going faster then, though, too.
3: Uh, Oh, I did about 300. I mean, in other words, I didn't. What happens there, and that's we knew that already, is if you go 300 knots, the first the ship gets this big. Uh, you know, and Satan that the director didn't want that. He wants that frame, that thing that shows the stuff, you know, and um, so
0: Bozo, that is one of the iconic scenes from the whole movie. And from you describing the problem and how you brained it out and and it worked. I mean, that made it. So, you know, the well, Navy's lucky that you were I saw guy. that
3: I saw that when I saw the Davies, I was big, you know, like that because they would have had to do it again. That would, but you know, they had to get the carrier to hold still. And Smegs, <laughs> Smegs okay. So tell us
0: about the uh, three flybys. You said there's three flybys.
3: Well, that, you know, actually to be honest with you all this time later, I, I did it a bunch of times because I, you know, I'm pretty excited about things and I've, I've got points to get down and I got that Buffett turn to do at the end. And, uh, and Smegs ended this whole thing by Bozo land now. And, and I'm going, Oh, you know, even though I had permission, I thought, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I said I still have some more career I'd like to get out if I could, you know, and uh, and then it just turned out exactly like I said. It was just the admiral shutting things down. Uh, um, yeah, but I thought you said it.
0: there were three different flybys in the movie or something. Oh, like oh that.
3: yeah, those three. I, I'm talking about the three by the single tower. Well, here you go. Uh, they went He's out to two, that was in
2: Fallon that nobody knows about.
3: That, that, that's the that's the third one. The first ones actually were uh, they did generic filming and it's in the opening credits. It's a beautiful fact. If you ever want to see Naval aviation at its best on a carrier, Naval aviation, the opening music and stuff of Top Gun, they went out to the Ranger boat and they just filmed purple shirts and red shirts and catapults and arrests and all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's an amalgamation of carrier operations out there. It's beautiful. And it's got that lighting that he It's gold and all that kind of stuff. Well, in that little sequence, you will see, I thought it was 24 and 211 with the Ranger boat. It was. Yeah, because, so there's 24 and 211, and they came by Pryfly, which is the tower on the ship, if you will, the island, and uh, they did a waggle. and you can look in the movie, you'll see them, They're, and they won from each squadron. I actually met the Rio of, of the lead airplane a long time ago at the club, and um, they come in and they do a waggle you know a little wiggle by the uh, tower there and that's a tower flyby, straight up right and then there's the one i did at miramar and then we go all this way you know off the coast with clay lacing your layer jet all this time and like the last day at the fallon the director says we don't have a scene and the scene was they didn't have a standoff you know panoramic scene right to left of the tower going by the the airplane going by the tower were
2: standing outside the tower looking.
3: way outside the tower. Yeah. They didn't yeah. have that, that one right. thing. And no, so nobody
2: knows it was a totally different tower than the oh, original flyby.
3: And you'll, you can see it. It's obvious in the movie when you look at it. And yeah. so I'm on the ground and we're, this is in the afternoon that, that lighting thing again, and this is like the last sort of, I'm almost sure it was a day before we quit. And, um, so I, I get on the horn of uh, the, the radios to, um, and Scott Altman was out there doing uh, a single something or other and that was asked for over the desert with a ground crew filming him. And uh, I called him up and I said, well, first I had I had to call up uh, the base CO and say, uh, you know, we need to do a tower flyby just like we did at Miramar. And they, they were none too receptive, but they did it. You know, I, and I said, well, uh, I can get comfit to help you with that, sir. You know, blah, blah, blah. And so they relinquished. I get all the tower ops chief. And he's, and so and he wouldn't talk to me. But then he, you know I made him call his uh, boss, and the boss said do it. And so I called uh, Scott Altman. I said you just just fly by the tower. And I gave him the heading the whole nine yards. And on his way back in, he flew by the tower. So there's three, twenty-four, two, eleven, myself, and then Scott did the one fly by.
2: And he was and Scott was faster.
3: Oh way, yeah. Well, because
2: it Fallon we didn't have the speed restrictions, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. he you was know, hauling, but. Forgot. Scott went by. Whoosh, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, he went by a lot faster than Bozo did uh, when we're inside the tower.
3: Yeah, the tower flyby in the movie has all that. I went below the hangar levels and did all kinds of stuff. That yeah,
2: was really cool. He there. disappeared behind the E two hangar. Remember that mm-hmm. and the and the 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 uh, the rag, the F uh, four you know rag hangar. Yeah, know.
3: I had a buddy, Bean Barrett, living on the base, and uh, after first we went by there, he went out and looking at it, and his opinion was that. Some uh, F-14 pilot had his letter in to go with the airlines. He was going to have one last really excellent flight, you know.
2: <laughs> well, that's what that's what Admiral Cassidy was worried about too. So. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Well, hey, so that brings up a
1: good point. You say that that was pretty much when you ended, you know, stopped flying. That was the day after day before you quit the flying scenes and all that. So, smegs, I I got to figure that at this point, you know, from from your point of view, yeah, maybe you know, from the flying point of view, excuse me, maybe that the work has ended. But how much? think about now that post production phase how involved were you in that how how involved was the navy with that production phase where they spliced it together and all
2: well um there were other things that happened kind of pre post production i guess you know so all the flying stuff happened at the very beginning of the movie right, right. you yeah. know that was that's when paramount really knew they had something but now right. they have to yeah. do the they have to do the love story. Oh, I right. have to go find different locations. We did one down at the MCRD. You know, we had the the bar the where I bar. Sang, the I bar that they where they really sang you lost that love and feeling was a and was the, a BOQ.
3: the BOQ The B O Q, you got that BOQ for the love scene. The house was right. too small. Yeah, so they were at the BOQ in the lobby yeah. filming this love scene. Yeah,
2: it was and unbelievable.
3: Guess guess who's all around the perimeter watching this whole thing, exactly. right? man? <laughs> oh my God, that's so
1: funny! Every is aviator that, that you know, knew when, about
2: it. when they come in to get goose because goose is, has died, you know. And he's talking to goose's wife and everything. You know, we, that was in the that, that was, was in the 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 boq lobby there. You know.
3: That was a great scene, by the way.
2: Yeah, you know. and then and then um on the last day of principal filming, the last day, you know, um, Heater was there, you know, watching him and stuff, and I was. I was there and and I said to him I said hey Tony you, you got to put a mask on their face cuz the one thing that became obvious from all, watching as a pilot watching all the flying and everything there was still no words in the movie oh, zero yeah. okay no words right and we made they made a decision that the bad guy who was always rat rat was the guy with the gold star in the helmet but that he would never talk cuz how would you know what the bad guy was saying he's in the other airplane we gave the instructors, which a lot of time was Michael Ironsign, he'd say, come on, you know, we would say, "It would give them words. And so, but we, I knew that they were going to need words, right? And so I said, just put, just, Tony, just put them in. He says, I'm not doing it. I said, well, I'm not going to shut up. And you're not going to be able to do any of the filming. And you have to do what I tell you. I said, I don't care if you never use this footage. I don't care. It's, 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 this is it. But you are going to need to add words later. And if they're wearing a mask, you're going to be able to add words. If they're not wearing a mask, you're not going to wait. So sure enough, we, I filmed every actor and, and Cruz, to his credits, says, well, how am I going to look like you know, I'm, I'm pulling G's, you know, everything. I said, Tom, you're pulling G's here. You know, he'd be like, it, we're in the hangar. Okay. And they got a little dolly and they're moving the airplane front and back and left and right. And the airplane's moving there. And Cruz, you know, he, he says he's pulling six G's and everything. He's just looking around, having a good time. I said, Tom, 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 Tom you, you're pulling, you're pulling six G's. You got to grab the canopy you got to pull yourself back, then put your head between the seat. I say, and you know, got to look like and strain in it, And he goes, and then you got to look in your face like you're pulling Jesus. I said, how do I look in my face? I said, pretend you're constipated. You got to take a crap, okay? You got to look in, squeeze it and keep
4: all the blood
2: in your head. You know everything. So he did all that, and he freaking loved it. He just you know. So all this while wearing a mask because he doesn't have you know and all and so. That was some of the biggest compliments I got was because when the actors, and that was all filmed in a hangar at Burbank Airport. That's right. But the actors looked like they were in the airplane because. Next, when,
0: uh, when you and I went up there, I, I wish I had taken my camera and given it to one of the guys and say, "Hey, take a picture of me and my buddy John Simpkins." front of This thing, but I didn't take it. I didn't even take my camera. Well, well, I know was, you should have I never took, took my camera. I have zero no. pictures
2: from the whole I mean, thing. Right? I had very so, few. Today we all have these things, and we would have yeah. a thousand pictures. But yeah. so then, about you know, filming was over. You know, the flying certainly, and and they had cut a bunch of the movie. To, the movie was kind of cut together, preliminary cut. Them all the music wasn't in yet, everything. And I get a call from Jerry Bruckheimer, and Jerry says, he says, John, c- c- you know, would you mind coming up to Paramount Studios? You know, and uh, You know, and I've been up there a bunch of times. You know, one of the stories you talked about, the the CEO got court-martialed. I had to record every hour that the F-14 flew, the A-4 flew, the F-5 flew, had to multiply it by the cost that the government made us use. I had to do all this shit. Then they had me go up to Paramount Studios, and they put me up at the Four Seasons. Okay, the room was the biggest thing I've ever seen. I immediately checked out, and I checked into the Beverly Garland Holiday Inn. Okay. Conflict
3: of interest. You
2: know. I couldn't I couldn't accept the gift. Oddly enough, my per diem was ninety two dollars a day, including room and food, and the Beverly garden, Garland was hundred and twenty. So I had to come out of pocket thirty two bucks or twenty-eight bucks just to you know to, to, to cover my, my per diem, you know, and so this is all what happened. And so then Jerry Bruckheimer calls the Kenny Company. I said, Hey, can I bring a reel with me? And, and Jerry says, "Well, what's a Rio, John?" I said, yeah. "I said, well, the radar intercept dial, the pilot sits in the front, and the Rio sits in the back." And he says, "You do that for me?" I said, "Sure, Mister Brockheimer." I immediately pick up the phone and I call Bio. I said, "Hey, Bio, we're going to go up to Stu- Paramount Studios, and and you know, I think we took the train." No, you we know, flew. We we flew. We,
0: we flew a little commuter. We were on the plane for like forty five minutes, I think.
2: Yeah, and so whatever. We we got up there. We took a cab. To to Paramount Studios. No, they you know, sent us young... both in our lieutenant in our lieutenant uniforms, and they take us back. Okay, the I,
0: they sent this young girl in a uh, women.
2: So, but they, they they had one of the. And actually, I know it was Barbara who was who was Jerry Bruckheimer's uh, assistant, and she comes out and gets us and take us in, and it's Jerry Bruckheimer who today is very famous. Don Simpson who died of a drug overdose. Tony Scott who threw himself off a bridge, and Bill Batali who was the line producer. So those four guys, we were with them the whole time. And, um, and the, um, the thing that really happened that was amazing is they just walked in. They said, we just want you to watch the movie. And then we're going to come back in and we're going to, you know, ask you some questions. Sure. So bio and I are sitting there in this little screening room, just the two of us. It's just the two of us. We're, we're They walk out and we start, to, and we're going high fiving. you know, we're in a Paramount studios and everything. And so they we start watching the movie. Now, bio, I say nothing to bio. Bio says nothing to me. We're just watching the movie. We don't talk at all, you know. And the you know the the steam over the catapult, the scene you were talking about, you know, the intro of the movie. We're oh, we're five five, and everything's great. And we watch the whole movie, and then the very first fight scene comes up, and I go, Ugh. you know, and I I knew they had a problem. Okay, and But I don't say anything to Bio. So we watched the movie. It was like two hours and five minutes. You know, it wasn't the final movie is a little bit shorter than that. And they come in and they say, "John, what did you think?" I said, "Guys, I said, you know, I've been with you since we started this thing. Bio here is, you know, he's 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 kind of the new guy here. Why don't you ask Dave first, you know, and then he'll tell you what he thinks, and then I'll tell you what I think." So Bio says, "I didn't like it." (laughs) <laughs> okay, and, and I didn't like it either but I was so sensitive to their egos but you know Dave hadn't spent all it. he'd been with them a little bit and stuff but not not like I had been every day and not, you know so and he goes well and, and, and then Jerry Bruckheimer says well what didn't you like he said and Dave says I didn't understand it and Tony Scott who is kind of a volatile guy says, what didn't you F under every other words, the F word, right? What did you F and understand? It's an F and love story. The boy meets the F and girl. The boy loses the F and girl. The boy gets the F and girl back. And so Dave says, well, I understood the, the love story, you know, he goes, then what did not you F understand? It didn't understand the flying, you know? And then Tony Scott goes, into orbit i mean he's screaming he's yelling it Bio spits coming out of his face his hands going all over the place tony stop i told you a long time ago that you had to put words in this movie the reason he doesn't understand it and he didn't like it and the reason i don't like it is it doesn't make any sense there's a bunch of airplanes moving around nobody's talking nobody knows who's which in which airplane nobody knows the good guy from the bad guy nobody knows anything okay? if And the airplanes are maneuvering and why are they maneuvering? you got to put words in their mouth, you know? And then J- Jerry Bruckheimer comes in and says, John, have you ever seen a movie where people's lips are moving and there's no words coming out? I said, oh yeah, I know that Mr. Bruckheimer. It's really, really bad. He says, it's the same if their lips aren't moving and words are coming out. I said, all you have to do is cut the scenes with the masks back into the movie and everybody will know. You know, we can give you whatever words you want. And then Jerry Bruckheimer says, What scenes with the mask? And he looks at Tony Scott like he could kill him. Okay. And I said, We filmed every actor with a mask on. So Bio and I go up to the editing bay. They got the fight scenes on three different, four different editing machines. Bio's the real, I'm the pilot. If Goose is up, Bio starts talking. If 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 Maverick's up, I start talking. Okay. And they took everything we said typed it all out. There were a couple of things like they didn't understand check six, right? You know, have you ever seen the movie 12 o'clock high? Yeah, it's a classic 12 o'clock is in front of you. 12 o'clock high is high in front of you. Check six means watch the guy on your tail. There's somebody behind you. You know, well, can we say that both of us? It's not a documentary. That was the theme. It's not a documentary. So they say things like watch the guy on your tail, you know, or they'll say, I'm in, or break right, break left, you know, you know, you know, you know. we had to use, you know, right side and left side instead of, you know, you know. Port and starboard. Port and starboard, or, you know, 90 degrees or, you know, you know, all that. And so they just, all the words that they say in the movie were written by Dave Baranek and John Semkin. And Dave actually gets the credit in the movie for it, right? And so... As no, he should I'm just
0: listed as a uh, a top gun instructor. I'm I'm in the group. Uh,
2: no you weren't listening as a as a dialogue. No. You weren't a couple other they guys gave, They
3: they gave that to Flex to yeah, Stephanie. Flex. I'm not sure what he did.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't I have no idea what Flex did. <laughs> so they, we, they, we just picked a bunch of things for a bit. I thought that was but that's how that's how it all worked, you know, and uh, and frankly with what we found, what I found out later was that they had screened it to audiences and the audiences didn't know. They didn't tell us that.
3: Well, that's okay. smart in a way.
2: Yeah. You know, and so but we went in there and we gave them all those words and then they brought all the actors back in and all the actors and the only problem they had was with um, uh, Merlin, which was uh, what's Tim his Robbins. Name? Uh, Tim Robbins. In. What we didn't know at the movie is Tim Wa- Robbins was the biggest anti-war guy you've ever met, you know, and I went to a couple of things with him after I got out of the Navy and he actually produced an anti-war play, you know, that I actually went to. And he, he did not want to come back in and have his voice, you know, recorded, you know, so they, Paramount flew me um, to Chicago. Tom Cruise was making the movie Color of Money. Okay. And he wouldn't do his, his, sound you know changes without me sitting there right and i said okay so they flew me to chicago we met the sound stage in chicago that's where they filmed the elevator scene where they're you know they're in an elevator for the the tallest building on the base is three stories long tall and they're in the elevator for 10 minutes or whatever it was but uh, they filmed that scene in chicago but um but and so I, I, told Tom, you know, and, and I gave him all the words and everything. And he says, you know. And so then, then the scene when Merlin says, "You're gonna do what?" You know. And Tom says, "No, cut, cut, cut." He goes. So he became my voice coach because Merlin wouldn't do it. They needed to show the show. They needed the show. The chairman of Gulf and Western, who owned Paramount at the time, that that what the movie was done right. And so I became. I became Merlin's voice. Okay, so I said, "You're gonna do what?" And Tom Cruise, cut, cut, cut. And he goes, he goes, John, you're supposed to say it like you, you know. He's scared. He says, "Say it like you're gonna do what?" Like that, you know. And so I, that's what I did. You're gonna do what, you know? And so, so apparently Merlin didn't want my voice as his voice in the movie, and he came back in and and then finally did. So I, I, you know, did, you know, but then the, the only time I'm in the movie is. Yeah, that was your chance to get
0: your SAG card or something, I guess. But
2: Well, I, I had a, I could have gotten a SAG card because I was also in – I was the person who introduced T- Maverick to oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, introduce yeah. his wife right. when he died. But they, that didn't make it in the movie either. But you don't have to make it in the you're movie. You're at the bar scene. Yeah, you're
0: in the bar scene.
2: Well, in the bar scene, yeah. So I was in the Glee Club at the Naval Academy, and I knew the song. And so they put me there <laughs> next to Tom just to – you know, the sing, So they all knew. Okay. So
0: we've talked about filming the movie. We talked about, you know, some of the more remarkable, uh, and more difficult scenes and, and production challenges and everything else. So Bozo, let's start with you. Were you surprised by the response to the movie once it got released?
3: Um, actually, you know, I just had a brand new little baby, so I was a little consumed, you know, she was born in December of 85. And, um, and I, and also my orders were in October, so I went off to, um, I went off to uh, Six, you know, um, to be an instructor at VT86 as a pilot. Um, those are the orders I took because I had that child, and that was, you know, about uh, five hours south of where our, our parents were at. So I took all that. So it was pretty calm and collected. I once I left Miramar, all the hubbub, it's like the noise quit, and it wasn't until uh, April of '86 when the movie came out. That I actually got to see the film, and no one ever contacted me past that point. And our skipper was a pretty good guy there at bda Six. He he uh, he rented the theater, and did a private showing with all of us. And it was a hoot um, to see that whole thing. But um, the thing that I got that I know that was going on in the background was uh, they the Navy gave me a thousand pictures of an F14 um, for me to sign for people they knew would. Uh, this is the Navy. This PAO office. That they're going to write me and ask, you know, for pictures, and I could t- go to events and s- sign it off. We had to use official Navy photos, and this was wasn't even a Tomcat painted the same way as the movie, but that's what it was. And I would get mail, and my even, even my wife would, uh, you know, get the mail and read that's it. That's amazing. And I'd come home, I'd come home for something, and she said, she said, "Well, you got mail today again?" He says, "You have uh, you have uh, three offers of marriage. Two of them are women. You have a ten-year-old." Uh, you know, that wants to trade a uh, a picture he has of some airplane for boots, uh, like a little flight jacket. And, uh, you know, in other words, it would astronomically disappropriate. And uh, so I would get, and, and believe it or not, 10 years later, I every now and again, I got a letter that would just say Bozo, United States Navy. And it would go to D.C. somewhere, and somehow or another would plow through the system. And I'm in the reserves at that point, you know. And it would find its way to my house like a month later, you know that kind of stuff. Oh wow! But That's I did. Um, Smegs can absolutely talk about it. the during the filming. There was the club was hot at night, you know, Wednesday nights and stuff. There was a lot of that. But uh, frankly, uh, like Smegs too, I bet. Um, I'm I'm accounting for all the flight time that I'm doing and the troopers that are associated with it. Um, I'm doing uh, choreography with Rat uh, trying to figure out the scenes because you didn't film this thing end to end. That's not the way the movie's made. That you could do an entry or an exit. There was very little that you could do end to end. And so we uh, on on the Learjet and, and the cameras as well um, uh, up at Fallon. Learjet was up there too. We would do segmented pieces, and we would call them names: Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta. Just make, keep it simple. And we would we you you, you know you, we used to say fight like you train. Well, we filmed like we train. We would break up the, everything we did, just like a sortie in, at Naval Fire Weapons School, when you would go through. And uh, we'd go out there and was, let's do Alpha, let's do Bravo. And uh, and that would come from the director, but not directly. We gave the director the mic the first couple of days, and that was a train wreck. He could never get down, you know, transmit and listen, transmit and listen. He didn't get that part. So we had to have one of us, Smegs myself, or Ben Schneider uh, on the radio. So the director would tell us what he wanted, and we would relay yeah. to crew, and that all worked through there. I wanted, if I can, want to back up one little cute thing. We started out, they started out trying to film the audio in this movie in the airplane itself. And it was, it was uh, I'm going back to what uh, Bio keyed in on some of the hard parts. There was not room in the cockpit for the audio gear. You know, I had there was a little camera in the back seat and a little camera in the front seat. And that's that control panel I am talking about where I'd run the thing. And we took the actors, Anthony Edwards and, and uh, Gary Tubbs and a bunch of guys out. And I want to, a cute little story goes with it. I just want to say we would go up and we'd, uh, we would have the F-5 roll in and do something, and we, I'd turn the camera on, and they'd look there and make those calls. But they had to step on the UHF mic. It's a floorboard mic. The left side is intercom. The right side is outside the airplane. That's a tall order for these guys to be dynamic while the plane's moving, see what they're saying, remember their lines, remember to step on the mic, and they're recording this back in the ready room off of the radio. You can imagine how bad, that was so they knew after about that's why they shut down the flying in the airplane because after about 10 sorties you know or 12 sorties with the actors looking at the dailies it wasn't going to work out the daily part some of the film they did use well,
2: some of them had barf on the front of them you know, yeah that,
3: that's that's rich rusevich that's another story but the thing i want to talk about anthony edwards because i love the best and bio appreciate this he uh we go out for this sortie and the way it's going to work is the f5 is going to roll in at our you know left uh seven, eight o'clock and, and, and goose, you know, Anthony Edwards is going to turn into the left. And I said, he's back at your left eight o'clock, you know, you know, come left, come left. He's going to say something like that. Right. Well, we're out there filming this and here comes rat smoking into the, you know, the, uh, this the, the, the uh, seven, eight o'clock position, but Anthony Edwards, and I can see him in my mirrors, he's looking out the right side of the airplane, you know, and rats <laughs> on the other side of the airplane. Right. And so I said, here he comes. He's And, I, and, I, and so I, I turned the camera on and then I, he looks to the other side of the airplane. He's going, he says, I got him. I got him. And he's right here at eight o'clock, you know, like that. And, and, uh, or, you know, left eight o'clock is he say. And then, then I, I was forced to say something. Remember he's got his foot on the mic too. And I go, he's on the other side of the airplane. And so it, Anthony Edwards would turn around and then he would see Rat. And he'd go, holy shit, I see him, I see him. You know? He was so startled that the airplane was there. I don't know what he thought was going to transpire, but there are real airplanes doing real things, you know. And I always loved the daily on that one because it was just, it was hilarious. For he, he, I don't think he ever knew there was going to be an airplane over there. He just, anyway, too long. There's, there's so many little anecdotal things that, they go throughout the whole system, but they quit. The, the audio was so bad, they needed another system, and that's what where Smegs came in with that little – they did a mock-up in the hangar, and um, they were able to go in. and They did a great job. I uh, mentioning Art Scholl. One of the things they did is Art Scholl went out and did a lot of free-flight uh, free uh, video, uh, left turns, right turns, pitches up, and all that kind of stuff. And in that little um, – when they – at that hangar out there, uh, Hollywood, they would – shoot um, the film on the background screen of what Art Scholl had done, a left turn, right turn, whatever, and remaster that with another camera. And um, that made it look more realistic. It did. Well, the thing is
2: that that Art Scholl died, of course, doing flat spins. Yeah. And he died
3: because he didn't have a shoot. He no net. He went out there.
2: Well, he just tried to set his own record for how many spins he could do. And he did. It's a bit never recovered from the last one. Um, And so what ended up happening was we we couldn't use any of that in in his honor. They didn't use it, whatever. So the stuff where you could see the point of view of the pilot with the sky spinning around in front of you, we couldn't use any of that. And so that's when we we uh, they 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 did all that with their form of special effects, but the The fun part was when they actually showed Goose hitting the if you if you if you remember in oh, the yeah, movie that's cool you know they had they had a scene where Goose's head hits the canopy well that was the same mock up that we used in the hangar so I so on this last day they had the actors in it and they were doing it and and then they were they knew that by trying to eject the seat out of it was going to blow the thing up right you know so they They took this out to a hillside above the Hollywood sign in Hollywood, you know, so and and they put they put a pilot in the front seat and they they had a crane that lifted the the canopy up off of the thing. And then they said, "Okay, fire one. And they had this big old type, you know, um, pipe in the ground with a whole bunch of explosives and it would throw the canopy up in the air, and we hung the canopy so that the the dummy in the back would helmet would hit it, and the director says, "I want to see it again," <laughs> and you've just seen this this wooden mock up the f fourteen was just all over the place, so the guys had to come back in and they had to you know and so then the second scene they you couldn 't see because the it had really blown it apart. it was just he wanted to zoom in on the at the point where the, where goose's head hits the canopy. I wondered where they got and, that. Uh, Thanks, Smegs. Yeah, it's and a real, so, it's a
3: real story though. That's from that wreck that uh, V it was VX one wreck, yeah. and it, that's it, that's how the the Rio hit the canopy, and that's where you know, Smeg talked about then They're gonna kill goose that way, and that's, that's how we that's that's kill. But well,
2: because and, goose was died in the original script in a big right, right. collision, and you know that's one of the things that when we did this, we, we just didn't want it to be stupid, right? right? Nice that biggest be, spear, yeah. Exactly. So, and, yeah, you know, and, and kudos, not, oddly enough, all the guys that were involved—you know, Rat and Bozo and Bio and me and 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 dozens others—everybody yeah. did it exactly what they're supposed to do, right? Because they just wanted it to be fun. And,
3: and what? Not so a I, hair. Didn't hurt a hair on anybody's anything. Didn't hurt a
2: hair on anybody's head. Crunch. You know? That's right. We came close, but we crunch. Didn't. Here's the cool
0: thing about all this: it was innocent. It was not. I mean, like the current movie, I hope, you know, the current movie, when th- when this shows, the current movie is going to be, you know, coming out very soon. Coming. But now there's so much buildup and everything for the current movie. There's a lot of expectations and stuff like that. When we did this, it's like, eh, we'll do the best we can. There was no predecessor. I mean, Bozo already mentioned, and, and we've talked about the final countdown, but that didn't really have much to do with Top Gun. You know, I mean, we were aware of yeah. it. We Many of us had seen it, but it didn't. The senior guys were worried about it.
3: Yeah, sure, but it didn't, oh, tell, yeah. it didn't really
2: influence. Especially it. the VF-84 airplane that departed, right, you know, right, only a couple that, thousand feet above well, the water and almost crashed.
3: Well, you know why there's a, a Coast Guard helo in this all-Navy filming thing is because the, um, and I know this are facts. fact, Spengel backed me up with that, um, the call went into the uh, uh, Imperial Beach to the helo uh, guy in charge and we wanted to use, uh, you know, a Navy helo to continue the theme of naval assets doing it. And that admiral didn't want to be in it. And so Sveggs was smart enough to call up the San Diego Coast Guard. and goes, hey, you guys want to be in the movie? And they uh, they said, sure. So you see a Coast Guard helo in this movie. And, and those are all flower children there at the Coast Guard. They were, oh, yeah, wow, well, man, we'll go do that. That'd be cool. And, and,
2: and you know, as we know in aviation right you as soon as your feet hit the water and bio knows this firsthand <laughs> bio's the only one of us who took the silk ride but uh but you're supposed to as soon as your feet hit the water you you, you click out your your uh you know um parachute and so you don't get entangled in the in the in the lines and you know and so but you but need you, get, you need air for that of, and so if you're coming down from a high you've got a lot of time to think about it if you're ejecting off of a ship about 80 feet above the water you may not have much time to think about it, huh? oh, <laughs> it
0: happens fast uh, I
2: that. so so what happened was there do you have an ejection yeah no i never sep,
3: did. Sep- september of 79 and did? i and, and there was no no uh no air for this i mean i you know, I got hit the water and I was that 80 foot guy into the water. So, so I mean, what, what was and, the situation? Uh, we, it was a, um, an engine failure on the cat stroke, In an F4? Um, F14. Okay. You and know, you were in the backseat. Back, I was a real. Okay, okay. In there. At 79, I went in fact after that cruise. That's when I went to pilot training. But um, the engine, there was a phenomena called thump bang in the F14 community and the, the Navy's awesome solution to that with Grumman was a thing called a uh, engine survivability and fire containment modification. And what they did is they put fire bottles in the airplane somewhere to score it into the engine so it catch fire and they put a titanium mesh between the motors so that when the engine invariably would blow up, which they continued to do till they finally got the blade thickness to the, the point they needed it, pieces would go over and fod the other engine. And that is what happened to us. Actually, my logbook says uh, engine, uh, engine fod uh, uh, or engine, um, uh, engine failure due to accessory or a blade failure. That's what it says. That's what my logbook says. So off of me. And, um, the point of the point of the whole thing was that we still got the stroke because we were gone. And the, uh, it's kind of a cute story. A really excellent guy, Dick Cummings, lightning. Um, it's, and this is a real bio, bio Love this. This is the real standpoint. And I was a pretty high time real. but long story short, we take the shot and we're just, you know, carrier level. Right. And so we lose, we lost that motor. We think we still got another motor, but the reality of it is, as I, as we go straight ahead, um, he pulls the fire containment, uh, or, or the fire bottle. I guess the fire bottles are already there. I can't remember, but he, he pulls that or he shuts the motor off. We didn't have that fire bottle. And the, and A six behind us says a hey, time cat off the cat. It looks like the fire's out because the fire that was on the foddered motor, the light went out. And so, so we're going straight ahead, and but we're only like 145 knots or so. And as I'm looking at it in the back seat, uh, the speed starts at level flight. Uh, the speed starts um, basically to crank down. So I see Cummings Dick uh, lower the um, nose a little bit to hold the speed. Now we're down to 135, but we're sinking on the VSA vertical speed indicator about four or five hundred foot per minute. So I do the the Rio thing, right? And I say, uh, you know, you're sinking, you know. And so I see the VSI come back up to zero, but then I see the airspeed start walking back. So now it's 135 back to 125. And so, and I see Cummings lower the nose again to stop the speed. And so now we're going down and I sit there and I say to him, I said, no lower, you know, like that. That's what I'm saying. Cause I know, I don't know what my altitude is per se, cause I'm glued to that vertical speed, and that airspeed thing. And then what it was, was uh, just to add this little piece in it. the, uh, The engine monitor gauges were tapes and there was a line, and they all went up to the type, and it was perfect, okay? So the right side shut down, so you got t- one tape down and the other one up, but you, they're made for glancing but not hard reading, so Cummings finally read the left engine, the one we thought was good, and he says, says to me, he says, we got a problem. Well, a big, tough Rio I am, I've been very sternly in this whole thing, and I go, what's the problem? You know, because <laughs> this is not at all going the way I want it to go, and, uh, and he says, and he says, she goes, "Crap." He says, the left inch is 80%. And I, I just go, it won't fly. And I pull, I just, right then, because I didn't know how close we were to the ground, but all I know is we've been going down a little bit. And I just pulled the lower ejection handle and boom, we were out just like that. And it was one swing and in the water. That was funny. I had,
2: I had a thump bang on takeoff, you know, and the airplane went off the end and it sunk. You know, I'm at I'm full power. And I hear from the tower, there's a 204 climb. <laughs> and, and T-Bear. T bear just hit. He he triggers the the bike the the radio. And he says, "We're working on it, boss." You know, like that. And so I got down and I'm holding. it and, and he did exactly what you said. He says, "Okay, we're we're not losing altitude anymore." But both of us were looking up at the flight deck. Okay, yeah. and I and I we start climbing out, and it just, it's just a big old compression stall. The airplane came. It did, it sunk off the end, and then the engines did work. I said, "We got two engines." And and, and and I'm holding big right runner when the left yep, engine yep. shut down and everything. I'm sort of holding on to the airplane. And T-Bear goes, how's it going, Smegs? I said, I said, T-Bear, this is going to be completely up to you because I got my left hand over here and my <laughs> right hand right here. I can't get us out of this airplane. He looks he says, well – I says it doesn't easyzy I can see him with the mirror, and he's looking over the side he says it doesn 't look like we 're going any lower, you know and so sure enough, we climbed out of it and and uh, we just did a regular a regular rest of the tour we came back and they told us that they they saw one unbelievable rooster tail into the water and pumping the water up because the other engine was not going so and then the other wow. engine picked up, and we were fine, so it was pretty scary <laughs> that 's the only time but I never had to make the, the but the whole story came because so Cruz was sitting at the Coast Guard helicopter, you know, and they're doing all the filming and everything. And his parachute, you know, was getting water in it. Right. And then he never got rid of he never got rid of the, the clips. And then his suit, his chute filled up with water and it took him down. And he almost that was probably the closest anybody came to dying. he says, fortunately, the rescue swimmer grabbed it. And right unhooked there, yeah. Him. Yeah. he didn't know how to do it because he went down. Right, and so the rescue swimmer was able to pull him up just enough because they both would have gone down, and so it was. Look for
3: dangerous. the uh, look for the lanyard at the head of the uh, the little raft that they're in there, where he's holding Goose's dead buddy. Right, yeah. you'll see a little lanyard goes off; it's anchored. Oh
0: yeah, there's a yeah, bunch
3: yeah. of, you know. And uh, I did touch and goes one day with uh with a pickup truck with uh, um the motorcycle that he's running. He's going to Top Gun, and there's a scene in there. He's Making the fist, and I'm doing a top, you know, a touch and go right there. He's, he's made it to Miramar for Top Gun. Look at the bike, and you'll see the tie down strap on the handlebar right there. Because it's on know. a
0: trailer behind the pickup.
3: Because I'm sure, tra- oh, yeah, well, I'm doing, I'm just, they call me out there. Smegs calls me out there to do touch and goes. He says that's all the director wants. So I went out and did the FCLP box over there, the left side, you know, on the south side of Miramar, and I did a bunch of touch and goes. And I can see, and they're lining that thing. I'm watching, and I look, and I see the, I can see him. Big time, you know. And so I did a bunch of touch and goes right beside him. That was the concept. I I, I matched the speed, kind of. They start rolling, and I'd bounce and I'd do it. And then they came around to the uh, runway in uh, uh, in marker lights. And they, I saw uh, coming around the corner. I see the motorcycle sitting there, so I turn over the thing as I come in there. The motor, the tire starts spinning in the dirt there because there's dirt where the runway in uh, markers are at. And they get on the runway and they're chasing my airplane. As I'm doing a touch and go, they're they're on. They got on the runway. They got permission. Smeg's got him permission to run on that friggin' runway, and that yeah. bike's coming down there. So I do a touch and go, and I'm like, bang, back over there, and then he turns off, and they go back and they do it again. So yeah. they, that's how they filmed that. That was a stunt guy. That wasn't Cruise. It that was after. not
2: Cruz. That was no. a stunt guy. Yeah. But
3: he was Cruise was in that pickup truck.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: you know, so, so so those are the people. There's, like I said, the movie has so many uh, anecdotal stuff that shoots across many yeah, behind the scenes
0: millions of little notes like that
3: but what it was i'd like to go back to that thing i'm fond of what uh, smeg said there and you said you know it really was those three jo's because the senior guys were worried that deniability factor and we were i wouldn't say we're expendable but we're young bucks and we want to go and we want to make a movie and it is a movie it's got tons of flaws but you know it's jet sex and rock and roll. It recruited like a big dog. The Navy right. got out of their hole, you know. And, and I got to tell you, being a senior captain in the airline flying from like Detroit to Los Angeles, and the copod found out that I was in the movie Top Gun, and he starts uh, asking me questions about it. And uh, I say, uh, Yeah, I was a uh, movie. He goes, God, I love that. When I was in junior high school, <laughs> and I'd look over at him going, <laughs> Exactly. And, and it kind of <laughs> dawns on you. You know how what the legs of this movie is, and we're thirty six years down the road. You know, so I mean, yeah.
2: Well, that's what the the new the Navy did find me uh, for the new technical advisor, and he's a Navy captain. You know, uh, he's actually a reservist. You know, and I said, well. And I gave him a hard time because he was a navy captain. I said, "Who do you report to?" He, I, he says, "Well, who did you?" I said, "It was." <laughs> I said, "It was just nobody. It was just us, right?" Because no, it it's a little different today. I said, "Why?" He says, "I report to two admirals." I said, "Oh, it's really going to suck." I'm giving him a hard time, you know. But in, in reality, where we didn't have any CG in our movie, the, the, the two things the, the, we don't we don't what, let's not talk stuff. don't
0: talk too much about the new movie. I mean,
2: no I'm not okay. no but the pilots the difference is I'm not I don't I'm not going to but the pilots couldn't the you know the, there was no there was no stick in the back of the F14 right? So you couldn't take a picture of it. and so and therefore the actors couldn't fly off the ship. In the new movie they fly. they actually in the airplane flying off the ship and you can say, and, and because there are eight cameras bozo inside the airplane. Eight Okay. And they're all mounted and they can see out behind and front and everything. It's it, the, the technology of the filming of the new airplane, of the new movie is two, three generations yeah. and you would, better see, than ours.
3: And you would know, and that would make it good, you know. But, I, you know, I have to say, you know, the editing really uh, made that movie. They, somebody had their act together when they edited that movie because it is coherent. And although the distances we fly apart from each other are not real and there's so much in there, the storyline is good. I, you know, um, I don't think there was a second movie because you couldn't get three guys together like us and the Navy amenable to the whole thing and do that whole project. It had to get way down the road somewhere where technology and stuff was something that the military was ready to buy it out of. It was yeah. just going to be a hard I, new, to, yeah. most sequel. It was going to be hard to make I've a I've been, been to dinner
2: with Chris Levins on and his wife you know, six months ago, you know, and he and I and it, it, even Top Gun in his business was huge for him. And he's now a very famous editor. Right. But he was a young punk like we were. He was bios in my age when we were sitting right, up right. there in the editing bay, you know, but but, it, you know, Chris, he did a really good job in editing that flight stuff together. So hey, Smigs, but he listened to us about what was going on.
3: Smigs, whatever happened to Patty Carr and you? How about that?
2: That. Patty married a nice man
3: <laughs> that was that was a kind of cute, that was kind of a cute thing uh, patty Carr was uh, bill bodo's um uh, you know second and right. uh, and Smeggs and her became buddies, and the thing. It was very cute. A really cute love star. She gave him a director's chair you know with his name on the back there at the end of the movie. It was kind of sweet. We had a little party and all oh. that
2: and, yeah I know. <laughs> it was fun, oh. So we we dated for a long time after that, but you know, when I got out of the navy, then I I went and did the I was the technical advisor for the miniseries War and Remembrance.
3: Oh yeah, so, Herman Walk, those those three yeah. wonderful novels. And yeah. by the yeah. way, good right. job on the football team in L.A., buddy.
2: You did good. <laughs> well, well, it took a long time.
1: So so, so we're, we're obviously this is obviously wrapping up the uh, the interview. We, we're we're getting towards the end here. Let's. What what are you guys doing nowadays? Whoops. What?
3: No, I mean Whoops, what? I won't have a real obviously Smeg's got a job. <laughs> I'm retired. As
2: you can see, I'm sitting here in my office. I still have all my flying stuff behind me, but but uh no, I'm a real estate developer in Los Angeles and I've got projects all over the country. Um LA, Houston, um Wisconsin, Riverside, Paso Robles, Bakersfield, so I'm the luckiest human you've ever met. So, you know, in the real estate business, the hardest thing is getting the meeting. Well, the Top Gun is a pretty good, you know, icebreaker.
1: (laughs) I bet. And you don't even have
2: to bring it up. Everybody knows it, you know, anymore. So even though here we are 35, 36 years later you know, there's not any, there are some people now I meet who haven't ever seen the movie, believe it or not, you know, because they're only 30. <laughs> so, hmm. but uh, and
3: I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm retired. I did the 25, uh, 15 active 10 reserves, um, 10 of that Simo with the airlines, 30 years with Delta, actually uh, Northwest for 22 years of that. And then the rest uh, with the merge with Delta, I retired 65 in 2015. And, uh, all the hard work I ever did. Uh, I'm i I'm a kid again, I'm retired. And I, I, our, my job, my hard job is to travel. And I've been doing a lot of that before COVID showed up that put a damper on it. But, um, you know, I take care of two properties and and my wife of 51 years, and we ski still, uh, my daughter's, uh, thriving, working well, earning good money out in California. And, uh, so we have a place in, uh, Park City we ski. I'm like the opposite of snowbirds. When the snow flies, I go to the mountains to the snow. We stay for several months, ski with my daughter and stuff up there, do the holidays there, and then come back and spend summers in Florida. And um just enjoy, you know, you don't have much of a ticket you're that you got punched, right? So a year or ten years, whatever I got, I'm just planning on enjoying myself. Nothing philanthropic, you know. So that's me. Well,
2: I I I I did start a foundation called the Land of the Free Foundation where uh, my two partners and I—they were both Marines in Vietnam—and you know, I'm, I'm just the Navy guy, as they call me. But uh, we, the Land of the Free Foundation, uh, supports the men and women of the Armed Services who work and sacrifice every every day to make sure we live in the Land of the Free. And we've given away hmm, about $22 million since we oh, started. Wow,
0: wow that's in, significant. $2, well, we'll $2, put the link. $2, to $2, we'll put yeah. the link in the video.
2: Oh good. Hey. That'd be great. Hey,
0: you know what? You guys uh, we could go on another hour. We haven't even gone through all the uh, flaws in the movie, but but I I don't like to do that probably like you I mean we've talked about a few of them, but I don't like to go through all those it's cuz it's too easy. It's like shooting fish in a barrel, you know. But but as we're starting to to wrap it up here, both of you guys have claimed to be lucky people. And and as a as a com- contemporary of you and a guy who knew you back in the day, I would say to both of you that that yeah you you know you might have had luck but you brought you know commitment talent etc um other adjectives like that personality traits you brought those you did great jobs when when uh, it was required and so uh, and that's how you ended up uh, successful and doing what you're doing uh so so yeah. thanks thanks for uh, spending some time with us today Crunch, have you seen? Have you even seen yeah. Top Gun? Crunch, have you? Uh, I mean, you're a lot, you're you're a lot younger than all of us, so I don't know. Well,
1: I don't know. That's I, <laughs> actually actually I do remember. I don't want. I may age myself compared to you guys, but uh, so I was 16 when the movie came out. <laughs> there you and,
3: At least you weren't in junior I high remember, school for Christ's sakes. You know?
1: <laughs> I, I I remember going to the movie, and everybody else loved it, right? And I walk out, and my mom and dad they look at me, and I'm I'm grumpy and, and upset. And they're like, "What's going on?" And I'm like, "I'm pissed." They're like, "Why?" I'm like, "Cause now everybody's gonna want to do right. it." <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was like, "That's what I want to do." <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Funny. It, was. it was good. All right, well, how well gentlemen, get, this-
2: how did you get your wings? Where, where did where did you go to school?
1: Uh uh Naval Academy class in nineteen ninety-three. Oh, okay. Uh I went to uh I went down to Pensacola. I was uh, I started in Tomcats. I was V F thirty two, A's, B's, then out to Top Gun, spent a few years there flying eight a- Tomcats and Hornets, then to two thirteen on the east coast, commuting to the west coast. And uh, you know, cause we were we had single sided Oceana and then uh and then I was uh, I'm sorry. No, I was vf thirty one doing that, and then I was two thirteen. Oh yep, there it is. Yes. Yes, sir. I like it. Uh, and then uh, and that was the last Tomcat Cruise with 213. Where I was a maintenance officer for that. And then I kept doing some other stuff. Oh, 51.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I had some other stuff. I was a, a CO, an Airboss, and a base CO. That's, That's what great. I did. That's fantastic. You know? I'm one of those stinking 06s that you have no respect for. That's no, no, no.
2: No, I, I didn't have any, I didn't have not respect for. I was amazed that he was going to have to report. I to get somebody. out as an
3: 05. <laughs> yeah, I made, I made uh, captain. You, three. It's
1: only because you got out, you would have been an 06. I yeah. was on the list. I right. made, ca- I was on the list, but I got
3: out. I'm, I'm interrupting again. I made captain three times in my life once in the Navy, once at the airline, and once on the tennis team here in my neighborhood. <laughs>
2: there you go. What <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my first when I first got selected, I got selected to fly A sixes in Norfolk, and and I go up to the, you know, this will show you how how lucky I am, okay, because you know they forced me to be the advisor for Top Gun, but this as the day I'm leaving and I'm heading to my my rag class in Norfolk, and the skipper says, hey, you know, they calls me up to a squad, It says, hey, John, uh, Lieutenant Stevens' wife had a baby last night, and basically, I had. You know, back when we were flying, you know, back when I started, we had a choice between F4s, F8s, and F14s. So I put F4s, F14s west, F14s east, F4s west, F4s east, F8s west, F8s east, A6s east was my last choice. And I got A6s east. And then he calls me and says, Lieutenant Stevens' wife had a baby last night. And I said, well, that's great, Skipper. I got to go. I got to be in Norfolk on Monday. And he says, yeah, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. He says, Lieutenant Stevens, you know, he was a a Surgrad. And the Surgrads got whatever they wanted, right? And he said, he's got a class that starts on Monday in San Diego flying F-14s. I said, he says, do you want it? I said, well, that was my first choice. So literally... (laughs) I got the fly F fourteens. I deserved it. I I had great flight grades everything. But I got the fly F fourteens because some guys That
3: is
0: amazing.
2: Me. You know? So and and the rest of the And
0: we hear <laughs> a lot of crunch, you know, our guests have a lot of stories like that. I mean thinking back. So that's amazing, Smegs.
1: That wow. is so true. That's so true. That was funny. All right, gentlemen. Well, hey, I, I, this has been a great interview, and we've gone over a bunch of great topics. This has been—I think this will be a fan favorite. I can see it already, um, and I'm sure that we've got a few things we're going to put in the notes. Bio, and I saw you writing some things down. I got it as well, written right here on a napkin because that's the note my note paper today. Uh, we're going to have this on. Uh, we'll edit it up and and get it on the show here shortly. I think this one's coming up pretty quick. Uh, late May, late May, May. May. Okay.
3: Hey, bio, you you going to you're, coincide
1: uh, with the second movie.
3: What's that? Uh, bio, you are you going? You're going to the thing in May, right? Out in San Diego. Uh, the, I'm going to one put
0: on by Jello, um, a yellow. Which one are you going to?
3: Well, there's a 13th, 14th of May. Oh yeah, I'm going to that um, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I was lucky. Yeah, I can't
2: be there for that one.
3: You know, I got a, I bagged a uh, VIP thing at uh, uh, Point Loma Air, you know, yeah. station there to stay in the whole time. It's pretty cool. Well, so cool. I want to hook up with you there somewhere. All right. For drinks See you out there. get together.
1: All right, guys. Hey, thanks for, for joining us. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to hit stop. But thanks for joining us today, and thanks for being on the F-14 TomCast.
0: And now we have that F-5 HUD video that I mentioned earlier. This came from Rick Hammonds. His call sign was Oregon and he was one of the instructors when I was there also in the mid-80s. He's listed in the credits as a Top Gun instructor and a MiG pilot. Oregon has held on to this until the right moment, and he recently contacted me and asked if we'd be interested, and I said, hell yes. So he sent me this video, and what it is is while he was flying as the second F-5 in a trail of F-5s to film scenes for the movie— he just activated his HUD camera. Now, this is old school. It's black and white. It's from 1985, and it's been transferred from the large format uh, V8 uh, videotape to a smaller format and then recently digitized. If you look closely, and I made a couple of notes here, if you look closely, you can see the nose and the guns on the front of Oregon's Jet especially as the light changes and sometimes there's some contrast. Now what I've got here is a few excerpts from the video that he sent me because a lot of the flying was uh, quite routine. In the first part, we see the Learjet and an F-5 and you can hear some of the communications between aircraft discussing different speeds. In the next segment, a Tomcat shows up briefly and there's also communications about turning to the right heading to set up the uh, proper sun angle on the aircraft. In addition, they talk about maneuvering and somebody gives a uh, a heads up to watch out for jet wash from the Tomcat. And a couple of later segments, there's more comms talking about maneuvering, air speeds, altitudes, and things like that. So I hope you'll enjoy these segments that were pulled from F5 MiG-28 HUD video that was taken in 1985 off Miramar filming the original Top Gun movie. Action.
4: Now yeah, we'll, we'll drift on up to 14,000, 14,000 eventually, but right now, I wanted to get a picture of y'all uh, with the reflection of the water down here lower. Say your airspace They're clear, Ben. Okay, I'm at uh, 290, and uh, why don't we just I'll pull back a little bit if everybody's comfortable for this. Slowing down. Okay, I'll slow down to about 270. Daniel, pause I'm uh, right at your right, three. Gotcha. Okay, Ben, do you have us? He's joining now. Okay, Ben's got the lead for the bogeys. Right. You want us lined up directly behind the F 14? Oh, no, everybody, uh, the F uh, 5, just kind of go from side to side a little bit so we see some movement back there. That's good. Okay, and I'm starting a left turn. Okay, you gotta be careful of the uh, San Clemente Island on your nose. Okay, got it. I'll go around the south of it. And the further south you take yourself, I think the uh, better off you're gonna be. Okay, I'll be going south here in just a second. I want to get this sun reflection. Okay, Ben, just start kind of some wing movements off. Keep your altitude up there, Ben, so you don't put us in your jet wash. Roger. I'll make it easier, then. Okay, maybe a bit more wing-bank, Ben. Even back out just a little. Give a little more wing-bank. Go a little bit more side-to-side there, Ben. Everybody heads up for the altitude. Stay out of the F-14s jet wash. Okay, we're we I've got the island inside. And we're going south of it. You can watch some clouds also. Okay, knock it off. Knock it off. Okay, uh, just kind of hang back there loose everybody now in trail where we see y'all and I'm going to start a, start climbing. Okay, that's great. Stay back and stay down. Okay, knock it off a minute, so everybody will kind of close up a little. Knock it off. Knock it off. All right, so a little tougher for the F5, uh, F-5s five F when they have to maneuver in a climb like that. Yeah, I understand, Yep. So we'll level out, and we get down with this. Okay, Ben, give us a little burst of action. The other people are giving some action, so give us a little action, Ben. Okay, knock it off. Knock it off. Okay, when we get here to altitude, we're going to turn around uh, for the uh, inverted. And uh, so it'll just be uh, Ben and uh, that, and uh, the other uh, three airplanes can start going high uh, on our right side. Now, or high on the left why do not we? We'll go high right. We'll make a left turn back if that sounds okay. All right, I had a lot of fun, learned a whole
1: bunch of stuff. There were some things I didn't know there about that original movie. We can go back and just say that that movie was uh, so influential in so many of us doing what we did. I'd like to say, you know, I, I will tell people that I remember seeing that movie. I was 16 years old. I saw it in the movie theater, and I remember walking out, and everybody else was, oh, I was so excited, and I was just pissed I was like, why are you so angry? I'm like, because now everybody's gonna wanna do it. So that was my view, and I think I was pretty pretty right on that one because it was huge for recruiting, right? Um, so what an incredible movie that was. Going ahead, in the next two weeks, we're gonna stay with the movie theme. There is another movie, a documentary called and Angels. Uh, it is absolutely amazing. The footage in there is real and it is raw. And it is so cool. And so we had the opportunity to sit down with uh, the producer and uh, Megan Varley, callsign Vargas, to have a discussion about the making of that movie and some of the stuff going on behind it. So, all right. See you in two weeks. You've been listening to the F-14 TomCast, part of the Air Combat Experience brought to you by BVR Productions. Got a question for the show? Send an email to questions at f14tomcast.com or leave a message on our listener line at 877-MACH-101, extension 3. That's 877-622-4101, extension 3. For updates on this podcast and our other military aviation-themed shows, visit bvrpro.com and follow the air combat experience on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks for listening.